Welcome to this week's episode of the People Podcast. Are you in human resources, recruiting professionally, or an entrepreneur growing a team? This is the podcast for you. We are going to bring you all of the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to take your workforce to the next level. Implementing the tips and know-how will enable you to create and keep a world-class workforce. Here is your host, Jesse Tinsley. This week's episode is brought to you by Zor.ai. And here's a quick word from our sponsor. Imagine how your company would grow if your candidate experience earned a 99% approval rating. Well, to get to 99%, you need the three best letters in recruitment technology, XOR. Zor's text bots, chat bots, and audio bots increased IKEA's candidate conversion rate 455%. Zor decreases candidate drop-off rates, improves your candidate experience, and collects analytics for future strategies. To learn more, check out Zor.ai. That's XOR.ai. Hey, People Podcast listeners. This week's episode is with Jane Stewart and James Carrier from the World of Work Project. Enjoy the episode. James, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Really excited. It's been a long time in the making. And can you guys dive into a, a brief intro of your, your guys' selves? And, and then maybe we can dive in a little bit about the World of Work and, and talk about what you guys are working on. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm happy to pick up. I'll tell you a little bit about myself and my background and then hand over to Jane and she can tell you about hers. As you said, my name's James Carrier. I actually grew up in the States for some of your listeners, though it's been a long time since I've lived there, so you won't be able to tell by my accent. So my professional background is that I trained as a chartered accountant in the UK with uh, Ernst & Young. It's kind of like a CPA in the US. I did that for a little while and then I migrated from that into doing large change programs in financial services, basically business integration work. I'm looking at you know professional functions in uh, in corporate banking and, and starting to bring business units together in that space. I got involved in the people side of things that way, and I quite enjoyed it. And then you know realizing that that's the direction I wanted to go in my career, I got another role again in a large financial services organization, looking at effectively improving performance and engagement across professional functions. So that's finance, legal, and strategy in corporate banking. And in that role, I spent about the last five years of my sort of employed career looking at coaching, so coaching leadership teams and doing team coaching at, at lower levels, um, looking to improve performance and ways of working and management practices across fairly large teams and then sort of leading teams that would um, do, I guess, requirements assessments and need assessments and then deliver you know, coaching and, and training to, to help the, the leaders achieve those goals. I then picked up management and leadership development programs, so rolling out facilitated programs to improve skills and capabilities across the leadership of those functions of the group. And I also picked up things like culture change, inclusion, diversity, introducing ways of working, uh, internal communications, and things around, you know, like reducing the hierarchy in an organization, improving empowerment, and, and that aspect of culture change, really. Uh, and then I decided it was time to leave, so I left about... 12 months ago, I guess, 14 months ago, and started the journey to set up a project we're working on now, which is the World of Work Project. So that's me. Uh, Jane, do you want to give a bit of an insight? Your background's a bit different to mine. Yeah, uh, my accent and my background are both different. So I pretty much wasn't a massive fan of education, went to uni, university, didn't, didn't love it, and always wanted to work. And I had a background in sports. So I come at it from a very different place. I'd been a sports official as a volunteer since I was 15, and I'd carried that on to a, a sort of national international level with tennis and started working for non-profit sports organizations after I left university and used to effectively build competition products, rebuild the strip them down, 
and then rebuild them. So we'd take something that wasn't working, wasn't getting a lot of players in it, and we'd strip it down and then we'd rebuild it. And uh, went on to run a operations and then CEO at a small youth charity. And what happened was, as I, as I spent more and more time in the sector, I cared less and less about the products and services that we were delivering and the functions that we were making. And we, I cared more and more about the people and the structures and the organization. So I started working with a slightly bigger organizations on their transitions, on their change management, and joined a leadership team supporting them through a major restructure. And after that, realized that I didn't want to do what I'd been doing anymore and pretty much ended up in the same place at the same time as James and started having conversations through a mutual friend where we realized that both of us really cared quite passionately about people's experience of work and particularly a fundamental belief that your experience of work will shape the quality of your life and having a good experience of work will make you have a better life. And that's for the vast majority of us in this world, um, work plays a fairly major function and multiple functions in our lives. So that's kind of my background, uh, very different from James's. That's great. Thanks for the, the intros. And and what's the World of Work project for those of us that don't know? Maybe you can just give a brief overview. Yeah, no problem. So it started off, ironically, talking to you on a podcast. It started off as a podcast. James and I were having more and more conversations about the factors that influenced work, the things that changed it, what would help people understand how to have a better work experience. And we really liked the conversations and we kind of thought, okay, well, maybe other people will be interested in what we're talking about. So that was how we started. Um, we get a decent uh, amount of engagement from our podcast. And as we talked more and more, we realized that we kind of wanted to do more than just talk about it. We wanted to do something. And that was kind of when the World of Work Project was sort of conceived, which was about six months ago. And then James started building a amazing website, which is pretty much an archive stroke directory of everything we talk about, but in much more structured ways. And it's www.worldofwork.io. And it's a free website. It's, it's, there's no cost to using it. And we don't, you know, what we're really trying to do is cover huge varieties of areas like everything that affects people's life within work. So everything from decision making and emotional intelligence internally through to things like economics and personal finance. And then more practical stuff around the workplace, which might be around things like strategy, team building, or even things like managing stress and well-being and resilience within your workplace. From that, we also work with a small number of clients. And we're staying quite small at the moment, but we're sort of planning for the future, where we work with a small number of clients to help them transition through periods of change and through individual coaching. And we also do, um, we help organizations design their leadership programs too. That's great. And what's, uh, you guys have been doing this about six months now. What's your biggest takeaway in terms of like research or, or people you've talked to or things you've learned? What would you say is each of you would say is your biggest takeaway in, in working on this last year or so? I, I guess I'll, I'll start that. You know, we, we do a lot of uh, coaching for individuals and leaders and organizations. And one of the things that always strikes me is the importance of humanity in working with people. So pretty much everyone I coach maybe starts conversations with me focusing on deliverables and the specifics of deliverables or specific work-related challenges they face and things like that. But after we speak for a while, maybe over a couple of weeks or months, what tends to happen is conversations tend to transfer into the personal realm, or at least the more um, self-reflective and more emotionally aware realm. And a lot of the real development that people get that we see is not so much to do with their ability to meet deadlines or deliver a task or plan effectively. It's about 
gaining self-awareness and reflection and being able to manage themselves well and, and consequently to, to work well with others through perhaps trying periods and, and to remain at their best. And it's really those skills that, in my experience, help people improve the most in their roles, but also that help them get an improvement in the quality of experience that they have over the course of their work as well. So that's probably my biggest takeaway. Yeah. And I think I would agree with all of those things as being important. I guess the the biggest takeaway I've taken, and James mentioned it a little bit, is the surprisingly important role of a couple of very specific skills that are under, I think are very undervalued, particularly in sort of middle and exec management. One is about self-awareness. It is astonishing how late the party people tend to be in their careers before they realize how important it is to have a really accurate perception of themselves and also of how other people perceive them. And I would say the other thing that consistently crops up is people's discomfort with having difficult conversations with peers, people they manage, people that are managing them, HR departments, recruiters, whatever it is, people people really struggle to have difficult conversations well. And that seems to come up time and time again as well. Got it. And, and so in terms of, you guys brought up, both brought up self-awareness. What would you say is, would make work categorically like better for the average person? So if we're talking about, would you guys both say self-awareness in that case? And if so, what's the best way to become self-aware in the workplace? Yeah. So I think self-awareness is part of the entire suite of things that, that loosely fit under emotional intelligence. And, and in, in terms of a, a good starting point for personal development in, in a workplace, I would certainly say that learning about emotional intelligence and, and developing your sense of self is a, is a good starting point. For the development of self-awareness specifically, I think you often need to, to have trusting relationships with others and get effective feedback that's honest and that you accept well and that, that you're able to reflect on. So I think that sort of external view of yourself helps with your understanding of how you're perceived, and that's very powerful. I think there's also a fair amount of stuff that you can do individually to really develop a sense of what's important to you and what motivates you and and kind of to connect with your sort of gut sense of who you are as a person. And in that domain, I guess I'd recommend some things like a few of the more, I guess, academically rigorously uh, assessed and approved personality tests, as well as some things like, you know, you can do exercises around understanding what your personal values are, what your motivational drivers are and things like that. Have you got anything you'd add to that, Jen? Yeah, I guess I would say, given <laughs> perhaps not surprisingly, given the topic that we're discussing, is that for me, just the very nature of taking ownership of your personal development and taking ownership of what that looks like is the biggest thing that someone, I think, can do. And by nature, if you're going to try and develop yourself, you're going to have to develop self-awareness because you're going to have to spot what you're strong and what you're weak at and therefore be able to work on it. But I think certainly earlier in their career, and actually, frighteningly, sometimes a lot later too, I meet people who are happy to subscribe to their organization's approach to personal development or their profession's approach to personal development, and they don't take ownership of it themselves. They don't say, who am I? Who do I want to be? Where do I want to get to? What's the culture and organization type that I want to work within? And what do I need in my portfolio of skills, behaviors, knowledge, relationships, to be able to do that role well. Got it. So in terms of personal development, what can the average person do? What would you recommend if you had to put together like a, a plan for them? Oh, if, where do I start? start? Oh, yeah. there's so much. So, and I, you know, this is a terrible example of someone, you know, who's a com- convert to it. I was really, really retroactive when I was first started in my career. I worked in an organization that was telling me what they wanted me to have as my skills. And I just went along with it. 
But now, um, and I think it helps massively if you're a curious person, right? It massively helps if you're going to explore in that way. But the way we tend to talk about it is we use a model called think, feel, be, do. And think refers to your head, feel your heart, be is your gut, and the doing is your hands and your feet, the getting things done. And the reason we talk about things that way is we're trying to make sure that everyone thinks about all the different ways they can improve. So the think is about learning how your brain works and learning the mistakes you're making and learning how you can be better at your decision-making, better at analyzing data, better at avoiding you know, cognitive biases, things like that, right? And then the feel is about building and developing relationships, knowing yourself, managing your own emotions, managing other people and reacting to their emotions. So that's the think and the feel. And then I'll get James to explain the be and the do. All right. Sounds like it's over to me. Um, so being, as, uh, as Jen said, we sort of connect with gut. And it's really about understanding who you are and connecting with your whole self. So thinking's your brain, feelings, your, your, your sort of heart and the feelings that, that you have and, and making sure that you're sort of emotionally at your best. Being is about developing some clarity on who you are as an individual and understanding that person working in such a way that you enable that person to be their best and looking after that person. So here under the being, we've got a lot of the things to do with self-awareness, personal values in terms of the discovery piece, but then also to make sure that you, you look after your whole self, we've got things to, to think about here like well-being, things like resilience. And also in the, the sort of self-awareness piece, we've got things like diversity, your personal characteristics, your personality type, really developing an understanding of your individual identity and making sure that you kind of acknowledge that and bring that to work with you and, and try and shape work in such a way that it fits with who you are so that you get the, the sort of benefit of being able to be yourself um, and express yourself in what you do. Um, and then the last of the pillars we talk about is do, which is the uh, hands and feet, as we said. And this is really about, you know, spending time working on and developing the skills that help you do the tasks that you need to do over the course of your, your working life. So at a high level, we have things here like um, developing your personal effectiveness, learning how to prioritize, developing planning skills, learning to take action, and, and all those sort of tertiary skills that exist around the core skills of your actual delivery of your job. So we think across those four pillars of thinking, feeling, being, and doing, we think that if individuals can divide up their personal development across those four areas and really work on and develop those, that gives them a fairly holistic uh, framework through which to look to grow and improve um, in, in their work. And a lot of what we want to do within the World of Work Project is to help create and help, you know, shape leaders who are self-aware, self-conscious, and fairly purpose-driven in what they do. So this provides a fairly holistic framework that we think people can take with them throughout their career. So, so anything you'd add, yeah. Yeah. So just to come back to your question, Jesse, I guess we would both, our response to someone who wanted to start out in personal firm would be say, right, try and do one thing in each of those four areas. So that might be trying a little bit about cognitive biases so you can second guess yourself. That might be do a personal values test so you start understanding what's driving your own personal reactions and your emotions. It might be do some teamwork with other people in your team to, I don't know, assess your emotional intelligence. And then it might also be something as practical as test out the Pomodoro technique. If you struggle with task management, for example, uh, I find the Pomodoro technique, which is a time-based management technique, really, really helpful for task management. So you might just try four things and you might do it in a really simple, quick way. Try those out, see if they're interesting to you, see if they're places you want to explore. And if not, choose something else. That's really interesting. And how can organizations, I guess, support personal development on this level? What can they do better to support 
yeah, personal thought. Firstly, just to be fair to all of my colleagues in learning and development in organizations across across the UK and, and across your, your fair country too, there's lots of people doing brilliant stuff. However, what they're doing is they're spending the money for two things, really. They're doing it, one, in the best interest of the organization, which is great and absolutely they should be. But also what they're doing is investing in the things that will maximize that money. So they've got loads of employees and they're trying to make it work. So one of the things that I would really encourage organizations to do is to have meaningful dialogue with their employees about what the skills are and what their ambitions are for the future. There tends to be uh, within organizations a, a nervousness by staff quite often to talk about their aspirations, particularly if it's leaving the organization or if it's moving into a different sector or if it's something that, you know, wanting your boss's job or whatever it is. And finding ways to have honest, open conversations with the people that are spending the money on learning and development is huge. And I would also say organizations shouldn't always worry about money. So some of the best personal development work that I've seen has been with organizations who have no budget or organizations that have huge budgets but haven't been using their budget for particular areas, particularly around things like understanding personal values, managing team relationships, stuff like that. I think I've seen some really brilliant stuff that's been done in a room with some paper and some handouts and some honest conversations amongst teams. It's scary doing that stuff for organizations because it feels risky, but the payoff is team bonding, team sort of interaction that completely changes and you get so much more out of your team and the people working for you if they genuinely feel you've got their back when they're thinking about their future development. And it's just hard to sell sometimes to senior management, but when you do sell it, my word, the difference is incredible. Yeah, you know, when you asked that, that question, Jesse, I wrote down a couple of words that just popped into my mind and um, Jane pretty much knocked them off. But for me, a starting point that organizations can do is, is to really listen to their people. And, you know, that, that sort of broadens out from the personal development almost into the sort of culture, culture type piece within organizations, really understanding where employees are, what's important to them, what they see the gaps being in their capabilities and, and culturally what they see the gaps being in the organization. So listening as an early stage is, is I think, hugely important. Um, I think organizations then need to be creative when it comes to supporting their people in development. And I think they also need to be brave as well and, and willing to, you know, try new things and willing to experiment and willing to do things like co-create learning and development opportunities with the people in their organizations. Because by doing that, you can get some really interesting benefits for everyone. That's great. In, in terms of, let's, let's say I'm, we've gone through this process and I'm, I'm self-aware that I'm weak in these different areas and I'm really strong at these other areas, what would you do then in terms of your career? Well, I think that's a really interesting question because and I'm currently knee-deep in academic work, so this is probably a cop-out, but mm -hmm. it really depends. Yeah. So a lot of the work that we do is about getting to know you as an individual because it depends on your confidence level. It depends on what your ambitions are for the future. It depends on the role work plays in your life, I think is huge. So for some people, work is their everything. And they really want to, they're incredibly ambitious and they want to fulfill some really clear targeted goals. For other people, work is something they love doing, but it is only one part of their life. And so for them, you may have a completely different approach. But I'd say the most important thing is, what do you want to be doing with most of your time at work? And what's going to get you there fastest? And is that going to be becoming a genius at one thing and brilliant at it? Or is it going to become an all-rounder? So I'll give you a very practical example. I coach a number of people who want to be all-rounders and they have now reached stages of their career where actually they're moving into senior leadership teams. And people don't want all-rounders at senior leadership teams. What they want is they want you to be really good at one or two things in terms of the way you manage teams and resources and, and engage them. 
And they recognize that quite often it's part of a bigger leadership team. So they're looking to fill specific gaps where they have their missing skills. And so quite often I will encourage people at that stage of their career when they've mastered the sort of general management skills and they've come up through a sort of an industry where they've sort of worked through a technical role and they're now managers. I will encourage them to sort of really focus on one or two of their strengths rather than worry about their weaknesses. I think the only time that you spend a huge amount of time investing in weaknesses is when they're holding you back. And I think we beat ourselves up a lot about what we're weak at and we're really good. We did, we did a workshop last week, right? We had 22 people in there and I said, well, I asked them to describe their, their strength, their biggest strength and biggest weakness. And at the end I said to them, how many of you found it easier to explain your weakness than your strength? Every single hand shot up. We're really good at knowing what we're rubbish at. We're really not very good at articulating what we're very good at. So I think that whole conversation is probably where I tend to start when people are self-aware and they have started to understand that. Okay, well, you've got these strengths. How do we make them bigger? One, one sort of reflection for me on this, and, and again, I think it's a fascinating subject, is quite often when I work with people, I, I kind of see that the strengths and weaknesses that they talk about or that they demonstrate are, are basically two sides of the same coin in a lot of instances. So somebody might be really good at big picture thinking and creativity, but they're, they're maybe not so good at potentially attention to detail. And quite often you get pairings like that where, where, you know, the strength is almost the opposite of the weakness. And in that instance, it, I, I sometimes feel that if you, in that example, we're going to maybe suggest that somebody focus on their attention to detail and the minutiae of work, but that could almost diminish some of their strengths as well. So I think there's a bit of a, a balance in it. And, and as Jen said, it's, um, you know, it's, it's individual and it depends on circumstances. My personal life experience based on myself, which I often think is the best example of things I like to talk about, is that I'd much rather focus on strengths than weaknesses. And as I've moved through my career, I've tried to transition and move in, in ways that allow me to spend more of a time doing the things that I feel that I'm better at. And I generally find those things more rewarding. So kind of shaping my career to my strengths is something that I've enjoyed. I think just to add one aspect, so I would probably agree with James about my personal life, probably, but I would like to point out that, I, I, and I meet co and coach people who are quite like and are stimulated by trying to address their weaknesses. I once took on a job. This is a true story. I took on a job because I thought it was the job description was the perfect example of everything I was poor at. And I wanted to see if I could still succeed at that job. And um, that is not the road to mental health and well, uh, well-being, by the way, people. Do not do this at home. But I did do it. And it was an extraordinary learning and a humbling, very humbling learning experience for me. And at a time in my career where I'd kind of felt like I'd nailed what I was doing and that was all that was left, it was a huge learning curve for me um, about myself and about, you know, my, the arrogance of my belief that I could just conquer anything. And, you know, I got it done, but it wasn't pretty. And uh, pretty much everyone in my life suffered for it because I was miserable. That's a good example. Like so many people think that they can just turn their hand to anything and, and you know, actually learning to fail and then to overcome that's a great lesson for everyone. Yeah. And you, it, might, it might be you still can. But the problem is that if it's so unpleasant to do it for everyone around you and yourself, you start thinking, hang on, is it really great to do a challenge? And I think all of that learning about myself has come from being able to articulate and translate what I'm doing into sort of the academic research, into um, the practitioner research that's out there. And I, and it will come from my own personal development. That's great. And that was quite a bit to, to unwrap here. Let's start with the first thing you, you pointed out, which is you focus on one part of your life and, and be quite self-aware and work on personal development. And I think that a lot of this applies to pretty much anything in your life, right? It doesn't have to be necessarily work-related. If you're self-aware, 
feel like that could be like if your focus is whether your job is an actual career or whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad or whatever the case may be, I feel like a lot of this is actually this will help you improve your life in in general, regardless of what you do. You guys agree with that or yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with that. And, and actually, a lot of the stuff that we do when we work with people is it's not really necessarily specifically targeted to their work, right? I mean, we think that a lot of the, the skills that sit within personal development help people across the entirety of their lives. And that incidentally helps them be better at work. So so really, a lot of our focus on personal development is about developing the whole person at work and at with work, outside of work. Cool. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. And, and then, um, James, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I focus on my strengths as well. Sounds like Jane, you guys are opposites of that spectrum, or at least you didn't enjoy it when you did it. But, <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that's really interesting. And how do you see this evolving in the next five, 10, 20 years in the workplace specifically? I think if you look back 20, 50, 100 years ago, probably it, it's pretty much non existent in the work, workplace. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to jump in and kick this off if that's right. And then hand over to Jane. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting is obviously, you know, the, the shifting landscape of, organizations and employment and, and the entire structure of uh, the working world that we live in at the minute. So here, and I believe over there, we get the rise of the gig economy, we get shifting towards, you know, more contracting, we get reduced tenure and average roles, we get, you know, frequent uh, job hopping, we get all these types of things that lend themselves towards the sense of an individual having more autonomy, you know, the, the lifelong employees kind of gone. And with that, in my opinion, and based on the things I've seen, I think that we're seeing a shift away from organizations being, you know, more strictly held to account for the development of their individuals and individuals taking a little bit more owning and, and more ownership of their own development. So this is in relation to their, um, you know, the more technical roles and professional qualifications and things like that. Uh, individuals are picking up those more themselves. But also, as people start to own their careers in, in a more um, fluid way and transition b- between roles, we see individuals starting to, to take more ownership of this entire process, right? So individuals are starting to think, well, I, I'm not so much an employee, I'm much more um, an individual with a set of skills and a set of capabilities. And it's my accountability, it's my responsibility to develop and manage these skills so that I can not only provide the best service and demand the best prices in the market, but so that I can create a better existence for myself um, and be a better person for my family. So I think that shifting in accountability um, is a really important message. Um, And then around the other aspects of personal development, I think there are things around the role of technology in supporting all of this as well. And I think social change is playing a big role. But I'm just going to leave it there and see if Jane wants to jump in as well. Yeah, I mean... It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I kind of agree with James, but on the flip side. So it's this, I, I do agree that there is a shift in responsibility from organizations to people. And I think some of that's good. I think when you're in a position of strength with your organization, that's great. I think when you're not in a position of strength, i.e. lots of people got the same skills as you, I think it's hard. And I think it's it, a lot of people out there uh, don't know where to start and start their careers not realizing they're meant to do it. They're like they're waiting for someone to tap them on the shoulder, which I think is a problem. And I think if we don't fix that problem, we're going to be a long way down the road with a lot of people not clear on that. And I think that James mentioned it. The other thing is technology. So there's a massive belief that, you know, technology was going to make all our lives better. And we were, there's going to be loads of demand for certain types of skilled professionals that work with computers and stuff. And I, I suspect what will actually happen is that a combination of robotics and improved processes will mean that we actually need less of those skilled jobs and that as a world economy, it gets to a place where it moves very quickly and the skills profile of what is needed will change very fast. And the people who will do best in that will be the people who have a really clear understanding of what they're good at, an ability to learn new skills as well, but also the people who 
can do the things that computers are a long way from doing. And at the moment, we're in a place, I think, where one-to-one, face-to-face interaction, either on a screen or in person, is still, once you get down to a deep, deep level of conversation, it's still not being mimicked particularly well by robotics and technology yet. And I say yet. Not sure when. Yeah, there's all this talk about, you know, the requirement for increased soft skills as we automate the jobs that required hard skills. Now, I don't really like the phrase of soft and hard skills because that's a lot of people say soft skills are some of the hardest ones to have. But a lot of the things that can be automated, and certainly in, in my experience of, of working with teams that have been automating, is it's the, it's the routine, it's the technical, it's the repetitive, predictable things that are automated. And, and those are the bits that we're taking out of certainly the financial services world. Um, and the things that are left where people are really looking for um, differential skills are things around, you know, building great relationships, building trust, you know, managing yourself well, leading others, communicating well, inspiring others, and all those softer skills that, that Jen was talking and about. And I guess my final point on this would be that the very thing that makes us human is our strengths and weaknesses. True innovation quite often comes from people who are fundamentally flawed in many ways but are very strong at other things. And I don't think that will ever disappear. So being conscious of your strengths and weakness and not trying to become just something that all uh, suits everyone, um, but rather really honing in on what you're good and bad at, I think is far, far more helpful. And I think if you only have to look at the people that are sort of forging the way in this world at the moment to change the world that we live in, to see that they are not perfect at everything they do. And I, I don't think robotics and technology will take us to that place. I think those people will still thrive. Awesome. Well, Jane, James, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks so much. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you if they want to learn more and chat with you guys directly? Okay, well, we love to talk to people. Uh, it's like our favorite thing to do. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so by all means, the website is there for anyone to use. If they want, we'd love to hear people's feedback. It's only been up a little while. And that is uh, worldwork.io. Uh, but if they want to actually talk to us, then we are super connected on Twitter at the Wild Podcast. And we also both on LinkedIn, James is James Carrier, I am James Stewart, and the Wild Podcast uh, and the Wild Project have pages on LinkedIn as well. So you can find us there. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the People Podcast. Appreciate it. That's the end of this week's episode. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and like our channel so you can see more awesome content coming your guys' way. This week's episode has now come to an end, but our content doesn't end here. Head over to jessetinsley.com where you can find more valuable resources to hire and keep the ultimate workforce. That's jessetinsley.com. Enjoying this week's episode? Make sure not to miss the next episode. Hit subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.